Thursday, and yesterday was the first day of the end of Michael Bloomberg's uh, running for uh, president. Uh, he got blown up last and night. It's almost like he just doesn't, just had no idea how to answer any of he the didn't. questions. And the way he answered them were just horrible. He is going to test uh, the idea if you can buy this election. Uh, yeah, I agree. Did you hear how much uh, money he spent already? How much? $500 million. $500 million already. Yeah. It's... And and he's laying everything on Super Tuesday. If you don't have a great show, Super Tuesday, he's done. Well, I know we're going to get more into the debates, but uh, I I did think it was funny at the very end of the night that they asked every one of them, you know, if you get to the convention and none of you have enough delegates... Should it be, should the nominee be the, the candidate with the most delegates? Right. And every, every one of them basically, but Bernie said, I think we should let the process play oh, out. Oh, sure. We should let the process play out. And then Bernie's like, there are these things called 500 super delegates, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he, and he's like, so he's been there, done that. He gets it. But it was just really funny. Cause I think that's probably where we're going to end up. We're going to have all these candidates with. A lot of delegates, not enough delegates, and it's going to be wide open. Well, I don't know. I think, I think, think, Bloomberg, I, yeah. I think Bloomberg is on to something that when he said that Buttigieg and Biden and Klobuchar should all fall, fall oh, out now so that, <clears throat> that all those those followers could coalesce around him. And uh, <laughs> because uh, – after South Carolina, after Vegas, and after Super Tuesday, you may not be able to catch Bernie. You might not. That's true. You might not be able to. I still think that, uh, I, you know, after last night, so my takeaway last night from the candidates up there on the stage. Who was the winner? The winner uh, The winner was Warren, in my opinion. I thought she That's came what everybody's out, saying. I, but, you know, I, I, I actually watched it back at midnight because i missed it so i watched okay. it again when it came back on so i was reading what people had been saying yeah so i tried to go in there to see you know kind of to disprove what people thought but i honestly she came out very aggressive she was fired she up. had a lot of really great one-liners which is how i think sometimes you gotta you know uh, grade the debate um, but i also thought when she came to klobuchar's defense uh with mexico uh you know not knowing the president of mexico's oh, name oh yeah that there two things happened there one she sort of established herself as you know uh sort sort of a pack leader right that you know that she's she's in the senate too but she's you know she's higher up on the yeah. food chain than klobuchar and yeah. i also thought that would to me anyone paying attention was just a devastating blow to klobuchar that whole exchange with mexico was awkward her answer and everything where she tried to say the president's name again it was just awkward it felt weird um uh, so it just really strange. Buttigieg, I thought, had an interesting strategy last night, and that was basically go after Klobuchar. Oh, yeah, that's where he's yeah. seeing a lot of his votes are at. I thought that was very interesting, and so you've got that little dynamic going. But I think I think Elizabeth Warren 
was the number one. Um, and and I think the absolute worst was Bloomberg. Oh. Klobuchar was just a little ahead of him on that scale. Um, Buttigieg and Sanders had nice nights. It, it is what it is. I actually give number two to Biden. I thought oh, okay. Biden did better. And again, we've it's, the bar has been set so yeah, the high. Bar now it's so low, low for him. Low. But he actually, I, I wrote some just notes because I was thinking to myself, you know, how do you feel about this? I, Biden is like the guy who has started the first five or six games, you know, in the NBA, and you just can't you can't gel, right? And then right. he just starts coming off the bench, and all of a sudden he's exactly what he needs to be. He's that role player. Last night I felt like Biden was coming off the bench. There was no pressure. He's not the front runner anymore in anybody's mind. Uh, and he just seemed comfortable that way. And He's and, not the nominee in a lot of people's no, minds. That's the key. He's not, but he seemed like sort of the pressure was off. Uh, he just seemed more comfortable than I've seen him on the, on the debate stage. His best exchange, I thought, was talking about the non-disclosure agreements uh, when they just started just smoking Bloomberg. With Once again, he just had the worst answers in the world. I mean, it was almost like someone had switched his notepad, the one with all of his good notes, <laughs> and just <laughs> plugged in just everything you should not say uh, about some of these issues. But I thought that was his best exchange. The one thing that cracks me up about biden is that he gets revved up you know he just gets he he starts getting really excited and he goes number one and then number two and yeah. then about number two he starts forgetting what, what number two is and, and what then, number three is going to be three, and and so it's funny he does that every single time but i did think he had a pretty good night uh, and i still think he could be the surprise on super tuesday because there are states especially some of the southern states that if they have to pick somebody you know i, I just think sometimes Biden's a comfortable choice for some of those Democrats. And people aren't excited, you know. They're not excited about any of these people. This. Yeah. Not about, and not about any None. of them. Yeah. Uh, except maybe for the, the real supporters of Bernie Sanders. And uh, he's got some rabid followers. There's no doubt he about does. that. I, I believe, I, I watched this last night thinking to myself, because there were some times where Buttigieg, He's a, he's a phenomenal speaker. Very, very good. Uh, he's quick on his feet. Guy's smart uh, as a whip. Obviously, they're all liberal. But I was just trying to put myself in that, you know, where, where would you want to go, right? Who's the guy? You, and I really do believe if he – and look, this it is what it is. It's just, you know, in the nature of, of, of uh, you know, our country and the state we're in right now, I do think the fact that he is gay plays a huge role uh, in uh, a lot of these voters' mindsets, whether they want to admit it or not. I think African-American votes, it's just not they're not going to go for uh, a gay candidate. Right. And I think that takes so much away from Buttigieg. If he wasn't, I actually think he'd be leading the field right now because I think he and Sanders are fighting for that youth vote. Uh, more and maybe to some degree, but there's just not a candidate on that stage that anybody can get excited about because you look at Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and you're talking socialist agenda not hiding it although i nope. did think it was funny that she started labeling herself as a capitalist last night oh she'd been saying yeah. that for a while but i mean she's been but not but as everything vocal on the uh, but everything else stage. that i'm wanting yeah, to do is exactly. socialist you know i mean it's yeah it's one of the most weirdest things ever so i've ever just, seen yeah it's not not much to be excited about if you're a democrat okay so when i look at the democrats i allow cnn to tell me what they're thinking because Fantastic. that's that's a whole bunch of uh, liberals yeah. looking at the people that are going to somebody's going to run for their their party. Here's what they were saying last night. 
Michael Bloomberg, welcome to the arena. It was his first night and he felt it. Let's bring in the power players to get a take. Gloria Borger, what's the big headline? Bloomberg was awful. I'm sorry. Uh, this was the uh, moment that uh, the DNC got criticized for, for letting Bloomberg in this debate. And now I'm wondering why the other candidates were criticizing him, because he wasn't practiced at debating. He's not done this in more than a decade. And I think um, the notion, even for a Mike Bloomberg, that you can step in and go toe to toe on this stage with people who've been doing it what, Andrew Yang, for a couple of years, yes, a couple for of a years. couple of years, it's, <laughs> it seems to me that um, that was difficult for him. And sometimes he looked like somebody who was saying, you know, I paid $400 million for this podium and I can't get a chance to speak. And um, he got better as the night as the night went on, I thought. But it wasn't a great first showing for him. And what will that mean, uh, Dana, in terms of it not being a good night for Bloomberg? And that's putting it lightly. That, no, that's a really key question, because as I'm watching this, I'm remembering uh, saying the same thing about Donald Trump over and over again in 2016, that he didn't have a good night, that he was up against the wall on, uh, you know, name your issue or name your scandal uh, or name your misstep. And it didn't matter. This is not 2016. This is 2020. This is not the Republican Party. It's the Democratic Party. There's so many things that are different. But I agree with Gloria. Uh, the former mayor was completely out of his realm. He did not expect um, the, frankly, the additional moderator in this in this debate, Elizabeth Warren, who asked all of yes. the key follow ups in in the debate because she was ready for bear. And this that's another thing we can talk about. Elizabeth Warren, how she, um, you know, she had a a very good debate. Uh, but I don't know that this means that we should count him and leave him for dead. Andrew Yang, you know the field the best. You know what it's like on that stage. What was the read? Well, I think three things happened to Mike tonight. Number one, he just found out he'd make the debate yesterday. There were two times when I wasn't sure if I was going to make the debate and my team got me together to prepare. And you're really not sure if you're preparing because you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be in this debate. So Mike, even though he was, I'm sure, getting coached and prepared, he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be in this debate. And so I don't think he was coached hard enough. Number two, he was clearly instructed to keep his cool no matter what. Mm -hmm. But that ended up presenting as being lethargic and uninterested for a big chunk of the debate. And the third most telling thing is that if I'm his team, you know he's going to get a stop and frisk question like uh, a gender discrimination or mistreatment question. So you coach him and you have him give you 60, 75 second answers over and over again until he can do it in his sleep. And the fact that he did not have those answers at his fingertips lets me know categorically he was not properly prepared for well, this debate. Well, they say they coached him He's on all of those, all of those issues. So, and that he had extensive debate exactly. with, with real mock debates, with his aides playing well, all the roles of all the people. Listen, uh, this was a disaster uh, for Bloomberg. Uh, Bloom Bloomberg Van went Jones. in as the Titanic, <laughs> billion-dollar machine Titanic. Titanic meet iceberg Elizabeth Warren. She <laughs> took him to task in a way that I've never seen in a debate. She, she, took, she, she, she took it over. She prosecuted him. But the worst part about it is, for me, a lot of African Americans are placing great hope in Bloomberg. Despite the stop and frisk and all that sort of stuff, you're seeing people trying to move over there. And he just wasn't ready. He was tone deaf on issue after issue. And the reason why, he's not been in those living rooms. 
He hasn't been doing those town halls. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know turbo attacking people for. Oh, I have too much money for turbo turbo tax. This is a great answer. A lot of people watching use turbo tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, his answer on women was terrible. He got completely destroyed on the NDA question. His answer on stop and frisk was as bad as it could possibly be. Uh, and then he basically lied on his answer when it came to uh, to redlining. He on every major thing that people who are looking for a champion just wanted to see some contrition and some professionalism. He let people down tonight and he's got to go back to the woodshed and get it from his team and come back better next time. All right. That's, there you go. That's 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 not, uh, uh, you know, look, been saying this for some time now, you know, preach it, Brother Van Jones, because he's guy, telling it straight. He, is, he really is. And I think he is. To me, he sort of encompasses the feelings of the majority of Democrats right now because he knows that there just is not the candidate right now that he feels like can beat Trump. He said as much, I think, last night. The point he was making, and I agree with every point he made about Bloomberg, it was an atrocious night. Uh, I agree with what Andrew Yang said. He did not seem coached or he just didn't listen because you and I talked about this a week ago about stop and frisk and what the appropriate answer would have been. When the NDAs came up, uh, and I, again, agree with Van Jones, Elizabeth Warren took Elizabeth Warren last night. She didn't just have a great debate where she was able to answer the questions and she had a few one-liners. She was just good. She looked the most comfortable up there on stage. And when she took over and basically started prosecuting uh, Bloomberg over the NDAs, yeah. uh, I mean, it really was. It was a moment in that debate that I think a lot of people will remember. And he looked like just like, you know, basically a little, kid, in the headlights. little kid getting uh, in trouble. But but Van Jones is, is absolutely correct. People, Democrats, those who just wanted to hear something from Bloomberg they, they look. We're, I see signs in Little Rock. People popping out, just wanting to support Bloomberg because they think he's the best option to beat Trump. Democrats just wanted something from him. They got nothing, and they got nothing. Yeah, I mean, it was is, really seriously. I mean, you're truly right. Nothing. Nothing. He, yeah. he had one dig he tried to make towards Bernie. Yeah, and it was just. It just. You could hear a pin drop when he said it. No, but there was no applause. It was just awkward. He was basically calling him a rich socialist. Yeah, you got <laughs> and, a million, you're a million dollar in your own three houses. But even the delivery. So I mean, yeah. you know, I think it's funny when, when if you're listening and you did not watch the debate, uh, trust us when we both say nothing good came from it for Bloomberg. No. There was not one good exchange. I had been talking earlier in the week, and, and Zach, you remember why did he want to be in this debate? He's not on the ballot. I mean, even if he got, he had a, a tremendous debate, it's not going to show up, uh, except in national polls. It's mm-hmm. not going to show up uh, at the ballot box, so to speak. And uh, he's not on the uh, ballot in South Carolina. No. and Just keep on pouring your millions into TV ads. That's man. where I think that, I mean, it just a, when, when, when he, when I found out that he was going to be on the debate stage, I thought, well, maybe he's going to be pretty good, mm. you know, and he's got the, he's, he's, you know, been around. He, he thought he was going to yeah, be pretty good. Yeah, you kind of thought, well, the, I, I think just in general, you're like, if they're going to make this huge uh, kind of leap of faith here, they, they must feel pretty good about their candidate because otherwise, just as you mentioned, continue to pour your millions. You already saw his name shooting up uh, the, the polls in state after state oh, yeah. after state. So you could, you know, think to yourself, this guy will... May never if he's not a good debater, which we found out last night, he is not. Uh, he would never have to touch a debate stage and could 
possibly win a pretty decent amount of delegates on Super Tuesday and do exactly what he's trying to do now, which is position himself as the candidate for which is by the election. Well, exactly, and so I'm <laughs> That's saying what he he's never, trying to do. And maybe that again, maybe there was pressure he felt that he wanted to show people he's not just buying it that he's the right candidate. I don't know whatever the whatever the decision was or whatever went into making that decision. Uh, clearly, after last night, it was the wrong decision. And uh, I could just see if you were on his staff, and everybody said, "Well, let's get him up on the stage." You'd have your head in your hands, shaking your head. I often watch debates, <laughs> Democrat Republican. With that sort of mindset where I kind of cringe, you know, you kind of sink down into your couch. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of cringeworthy moments last night. Uh, uh, I'm basically, it was, you know, the bookend on the stage. Klobuchar and, and maybe I'm being too harsh on Klobuchar. You have to help me out here. But uh, between Bloomberg and Klobuchar, no, you're, you're it was doing just well. Klobuchar had, her last debate was, was great. Was great. This debate was just the opposite. Yeah, she just seemed she seemed uh, scattered. She she didn't seem confident in her answers. The best answer she gave all night was in the second hour about climate change, which by that time nobody, nobody was cared. watching. Nobody was watching. She looked she looked out of sorts. Uh, she had a decent exchange talking about uh, you know I thought Buttigieg had a nice night, but I thought Klobuchar's one shining moment was when she sort of did that whole. You know, I'm in the arena bit with Buttigieg. And yeah, that you haven't been there. Uh, I don't think she delivered it super well, but I think it just pointed out what a theme is going to be for the other candidates against Buttigieg moving forward. I want to talk about Buttigieg when we come back. We have some stuff coming up about his claims on his military service that aren't Uh-oh. panning out mm. uh, of what the military said he did when he was in the military. Because he's, uh, he's, he's in a, an interview uh, where he's saying, you know, 119 times outside the wire. That means you're out in the Wild West, basically. You're out there uh, on the enemy. There's none of that to be backed up by what the military says that he did. Is he lying? There's been a lot of people who've done that stolen valor thing. I'm just telling uh, it's you. It's the quickest way to the bottom of the pack. It sure enough is. We'll take. We'll come back. We'll talk about it. we got to get to traffic. I know you're wanting to know what traffic's like, and we've had a little bit of rain. The, the, the roads are a little bit slick this morning. Be aware of that. We're looking at 39 degrees and 25 minutes after 6. We'll talk more politics when we come back. J.R. Davis is here from the Gilmore Group. He joins me today. we got more for you in just a moment. All right, so let's talk about Buttigieg just for a second. I have nothing against the man. He served in the military. Yeah. I served in the military. But don't get out there and start claiming you did things that you didn't do. You know, for some reason, everybody that has served in the military wants to make it sound like they were Rambo. Yeah. You know, they were out there, uh, just them and... 600 of the enemy and you defeated yeah. them all and you only had two bullets yeah uh, he made a statement in a recent interview it was on television i forget who he was talking to but he said that he had he was talking about what i did when i was in the military you know and he says 119 times outside the wire and all this problem they're going to fact check you on that stuff i'm just going to tell you yeah. the people are going to fact check you on that and they can't find any facts from the Department of Defense on that. And if you went outside the wire 119 times, they would know. 
Yeah. They know everything that you were doing it's a you know, weird... over there. I'm going to have you hold your thoughts. Yeah. We're, we're up on the, the news coming up here. Let's find out what's going on with that. And then then uh, JR and I would come back because I think this could be Buttigieg's uh, Achilles heel, to be honest with you. All right. So the Hill has been doing a story on this about Buttigieg. Uh, in his, his, um, speech saying that he was going to run. He says, uh, out on the campaign trail, Buttigieg has talked about the 119 times he says he crossed, quote, outside the wire, leaving the relative safety of the base as a vehicle commander on convoy, uh, security detail in dangerous parts of Kabul. Quote, we learned what it is to trust one another with our lives, Buttigieg said in his presidential launch speech. The documents do not say anything about Buttigieg's time outside the wire, which I'm going to tell you right now is strange, okay? But military officials who reviewed the documents for the Hill note that he likely did not engage in direct combat because that would have earned him a Navy combat ribbon, which he did not have. Buttigieg has not claimed to have been involved in direct combat, but he's written at length about the dangers he faced in the unpredictable environs in downtown Kabul, where stops at checkpoints or encounters on the street could turn deadly. And that's true, but it's the way he says it. It's the way he presents it. Let me just read something that he said, quote, in a ritual to be repeated dozens of times, I would heave my armored torso into the driver's seat of a land cruiser, chamber around in my M4, lock the doors, and wave a gloved goodbye to the Macedonian gate guard. My vehicle would cross outside the wire and into the boisterous Afghan city entering a world infinitely more interesting and ordinary and dangerous than our zone behind the blast walls at ISAF headquarters. True, but paint it to sound yeah. like it's a whole lot more yeah, this, than what it was. Well, that and that's just the thing. The guy, you know, I think he's a, I've said it before, and look, and he's, you give people their due when, when they deserve it. He's, he's a, a great former writer. vet. He's yeah. a vet. All he's, right. yeah, well, give him credit. He's a he great serve. speaker. He's a great writer. But you can't sit there and, you know, I mean, I would love for that guy to somehow write, you know, uh, an award-winning essay for me, you know, walking to the fridge and getting a glass of water. I bet it would sound incredible, you know, as I shuffle my feet past the, you know, uh, the, mouse the marbled layered, you know. So I, just, it's, I mean, I agree with you. I don't understand I if this ends up being – a deal uh and that it doesn't check out and so far it hasn't it's just like carry i'm just telling you yeah and it's and it's also you know look and i don't understand it either when you get to a certain point he's got a i'm telling you buddha judge is a rising star in the democratic party yeah. he's young uh i think he's got staying power but this is this is the uh fastest way to stop that in a heartbeat go down to the you know you'll be you won't even be pulling um that's the one thing americans don't put up with and that's when they feel like they're being lied to especially about uh your time as as uh you know in the military um and so i don't understand why even risk that 
but you've seen it before. I mean, you talk about Hillary Clinton talking about, you know, landing under sniper fire in Bosnia in 1996. And you have Brian Williams talking about his helicopter crash. And, and it seems dead like bodies as you get, floating down the streets of yeah, New Orleans. Yes. And as you, I guess, as time goes on, it's sort of like, you know, you catch the fish that's, you know, this big and it turns into this big over time. I don't understand it. I, I, it. You know, I guess you tell yourself something enough times you start to believe it. But that's a dangerous, dangerous uh, thing to mess with. Let me tell you some, somewhere else that he is going out. He's walking through a potential minefield as he's out there attacking uh, evangelical Christians. This is something that he's been doing here lately. Here's cut one. Listen to what he says here. The point you talk about, about God not belonging to any kind of a political party. At the last CNN town hall, you said, if your faith calls upon you to help the marginalized, uh, those who are uh, afflicted, to comfort to comfort people, to strive for humility and decency, as the Christian faith does. Uh, and then I quote you, then I just can't imagine that that requires of you that you be anywhere near this president. Do you think it is impossible to be a Christian and support President Trump? Well, I'm not going to tell other Christians how to be Christians, but I will say just I cannot find any compatibility between the way this president conducts himself and anything that I find in Scripture. Now, I guess that's my interpretation, but I think that's a lot of people's interpretation, and that interpretation deserves a voice. All right. I think he walks in a minefield going here. Because I want you to tell you, number one, maybe he understands he's not going to get those people's votes anyway. I don't know if that's the case. But number two, uh Let's just let's be transparent and we'll be honest here. He's a practicing homosexual and the evangelical Christian community will say you need to turn away from that, bud. All right. He doesn't deal with that. He don't talk about that. So to call out on evangelical Christians, I think you're taking down your firewall. Yeah. And I, well, I think especially just sort of <clears throat> adopting uh, this. Uh, sort of religion for all take, you know, that you speak for uh, Christianity, uh, I think that is going to frustrate some uh, Republicans. I think it's going to frustrate some Democrats. And I talked about this earlier. Look, you know, there are a couple of things facing Buttigieg at this point. And again, going back to the article you just you know referenced, talking about uh, his military and was the, that's the Hill history, and that's not <laughs> no. a bastion of conservative thought. No. And that's the thing. And so if, if that ends up being true, I mean, just he's done. It's it's over with. There's no bouncing back from that. Um, I I truly believe. But let's say that's the, the two things facing him. Number one, his age and lack of experience. He yeah, just he's 38. Have a, yeah. And he doesn't, you know, he's been the mayor, mayor of, of South a, Bend. South Bend. And, he's, and <laughs> as Klobuchar pointed out last night, he lost his only bid uh, for, I believe it was statewide office or maybe it was a congressional race. Uh, and so... He doesn't have that experience. And then, again, it's uh, the fact that he is gay. He's openly gay. He's, he doesn't hide it. The problem, Dave, and it's interesting, you and I, and let's be yeah, it's, it's some you, you're careful how you broach this subject, right? Yeah. Period. That's us. The Democratic uh, Party is terrified of approaching this in any sort of way, which is why I truly believe there's a lot of voters still that don't know 
that he's gay. And and I think that that is going to continue Wait, to I hurt think last him. week you mentioned you were watching was yeah. it the, it was New Hampshire it was it Iowa. It was an I was a caucuser in Iowa who was caucusing for Pete Buttigieg and found out that he was gay and she was just beside herself thinking that they had hidden this from voters and they haven't. And to their credit they have not, but the Democratic Party Will not. It, they're not going to bring it up. It's not a thing. Well, it's never them. been a question in any of the debates. It's, that's for it sure. It has never been. Yeah, absolutely. And I am actually waited for it last night to see if there would be any sort of reference. And there never is. No. And I think that if he were to capture the nomination. It would uh, become it, a big it issue. Be, it would become a gigantic issue. And I think it ends up, you know, I, I think it's a, a landslide victory for Trump. Uh, you know, so that's those are some of the issues I think that are, that are facing Buttigieg. But uh, to that same end, when you go through all these candidates, Elizabeth Warren, uh, a landslide victory for Trump. I think uh, Sanders, I think landslide victory for Trump. The, the question that came up last night, I think it was from Chuck Todd talking about, uh, you know, asking uh, Sanders, you know, basically, hey, you've said that. As president, you want to outlaw fracking, right? Be yeah. done with it. And he said, well, you know, that's – and then he started – he cited some statistic about Pennsylvania, a swing state, a, a state he needs to pick up. Uh, the, the, yeah, what the are you going to tell them? was basically like if if the, if the candidate comes out and says we're going to, you know, uh, put an end to this, then I'm going to tell every one of my union members either stay home, don't vote, or vote for the other guy. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. That is this this idea that there's going to be this massive turnout of youth vote. Sure, never happened. But but look, if you go back to 2008 and you look at Obama, he was able to pull out the youth vote. The problem, though, you can have as much youth vote as you want in some of these concentrated areas, and you're still going to lose. Ask Hillary Clinton; she won the popular vote by what three, four million. It doesn't matter because that's not the way we decide. You got to play. You the have to play electoral the electoral college. A- a- yes, as decided by our constitution. And I believe that there is not one candidate that can capture those key states that you need to capture in order to win. You can win California. You can win New York. You might even win Florida, but you will not win those Rust Belt states. And I really, truly believe that. And I just don't think there's a path to victory for any candidate up there on that stage, except for possibly, again, Joe Biden. But Joe is just, you know, like I said, we, I think the it, bar is He's got so many just, leaks in his ship. They're just I think by, been a new time bailing. And here, by the way, here's the difference. When they were talking about, I think it was Dana Bash who, who talked about, you know, the Bloomberg-Trump comparison that— yes. I sat here in 2016 and said he had bad debate after bad debate. Look, I thought that too, but there's a difference between Trump and Bloomberg. Trump owned it, and Trump was confident. Even when he was trading barbs and they were all attacking him on stage, mm-hmm. you know, you can remember Trump doing that smile he does, and he's just sort of like, you know, sloughing it off, no big deal. Yeah, he's so, Trump. So why? Yeah, he's like, so what? what? Big no deal. big deal. Yeah, everything <laughs> just kind of rolled off his back. Bloomberg is not was not that way at all last night. He looked super uncomfortable. He, he looked, he looked like, like a kid. Whose parents had just dressed him down. Exactly. He looked so uncomfortable. He was not confident at all. And he continued to give just terrible answers. At least Trump's answers were, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't even, I don't, I don't know if they were great answers. I don't remember. I just remember they weren't those answers. And those answers from Bloomberg last night were just terrible. So I say all that to say, give me one candidate that Trump will not, will not wax in a general election when he paints them as, you know, whether it's Mini Mike or, 
or Bel Pocahontas or whatever he yeah. wants to do, he no, is Pocahontas. going. Yeah, he is going to destroy his candidate over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if there's anyone there that has the staying power that can withstand it. They all want to fight him. They all want their opportunity. But I just don't think there's a good candidate up there on that stage. You may want to fight him. Here's what I always say when people say the champion is is able to be defeated uh, before they ever get into the, the ring and take a punch. And remember also, just because there were, what, six candidates up on stage last night, mm-hmm. there are plenty of candidates on the ballot. There are still a tremendous amount of Democrats that so will got be close on to the 20 ballot. on there? I believe so. I mean, wow. Tom, Tom Steyer was tweeting last night about, you know, did you do you miss me yet? I'll another see you in South need, Carolina. Another guy needs to just pocket his money and go home. I'm telling you, it's this is uh, it, it ain't it ain't between six folks. It's there are a lot of folks on the ballot. They're going to steal one percent, two percent in certain states. Uh, this thing's far from over. I do think Bernie is the favorite. I think he could run away with it, but I also really do believe that there is some sort of uh, wall there that that the dnc and there are other candidates that that are there to keep bernie from capturing that nomination and as long as biden just holds it together i mean and i mean that i mean just (laughs) truly just holds it together till super tuesday i think he can win some states that he needs to win crazy joe crazy joe if he can do if he can have a strong performance in south carolina I think he can win some of the big, you know, the bigger states up for grab on Super Tuesday, um, and so we'll we'll see what happens there. If Joe just, if Joe and Bloomberg just just sink in the next two weeks, uh, you're right. Maybe it's Bernie's. I mean, maybe Bernie wins this thing going away, and uh, we'll get our Bernie. It's going to be a Trump matchup. It'd be Sanders and Clinton, Hillary, Hillary and Bernie. Oh my goodness! I'm just who do you think? He I'm actually, just kidding. I mean, I know we're early in the process here, but but who who does he? I mean, I just it's it's weird. It's hard to think of him with someone else, right? Like, AOC. Should, oh my goodness! I mean, it's got to be he someone could. who's equally. You know, I mean, what what's the what's the age limit for being vice president? Is it thirty five as well? Well, I think it would have to be right. I mean, just in case, because if you oh, yeah, if the president got were killed, to die, yeah, yeah. The president get, had died. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What what is she? She's still. Oh, she's in her what? Late twenties, uh, early thirties. Yeah, not yeah. thirty five for sure. No, she's not there. She well, either. I just always wonder because you can always kind of think of a candidate and say this would be a good vice presidential nominee or something like that. I, you just, it's hard to picture anyone with Maxine Water. <laughs> I mean, I've, hey, look, you could have a. a What's uh, uh, Abrams down there in Georgia? Ranford. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, the one that didn't win the, the, yeah. the gubernatorial race. But I'm telling you, she's CNN she says that the, she, next, within the next 20 years, she, she's going to be a, a presidential candidate. Oh, I thought she was going to be a presidential candidate this time. Yeah. Right? I really did. Just might as well throw your hat into the ring. But she has positioned herself as a can, as a uh, as really kind of the perfect candidate for Democrats Uh as a vice presidential nominee, they've brought in a ton of political operatives to the state of Georgia. I mean, they want to basically offer Georgia to the Democrats and say, pick Stacey Abrams. You can have Georgia. You have an African-American female on your ticket. I think she'll end up being the – I think she will be considered by nearly everybody there up on that, up on that stage for the number two.
Wow. Like you're talking that's about interesting. Shit. It's a southern it's a southern African American female that's, that's, that could deliver you that's to the state your, of Georgia. That's the boldest prediction I've ever heard you make. Just just watch. If she that's will be impressive. If she's not picked, you will hear her name a lot once the nominee pops up. And we'll come back. We'll talk further about that. Plus, let's talk about another Achilles tendon and this one being for Bernie Sanders. And he addressed it a little bit in the debate but not good enough more coming your way it's uh about 651 and 39 degrees looking for uh, some rain early and then it's going to clear out and looking to tomorrow sunny with a uh, high near 60 degrees nice day tomorrow tomorrow it's going to be tomorrow not today all right a break all right back with you we were looking at the ages of the candidates uh klobuchar will be what nearly 60 yeah klobuchar so just i'll run through these klobuchar would be and this is on on inauguration day so when they take over as president of the united states uh klobuchar would be uh 60 years old pete Buttigieg would be 39 years old um i'm just going to do some of the front runners here uh warren would be 71 years old biden would be 78 uh, Bloomberg would be 78, and Bernie Sanders would be 79, going and on 134 80. days old, <laughs> assuming office. And that, I mean that's and you got to remember, and 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 for folks that don't know, I mean the oldest elected president before Donald Trump was Ronald Reagan, right? Uh, Trump, uh, he broke that record the last time around. I think he was 70 and some odd days old when he assumed office. Four out of the six people on stage last night would all shatter that record by at least a year. Yeah. Uh, and that includes Warren at 71. And then, you know, when you talk about Biden, Bloomberg, and and Sanders, which is kind of astounding, right? When you talk about this this change, this sea change with Democrats that you're— Supposedly the, they're having. Yeah, supposedly. But you, but you can make an argument for Bloomberg's implosion last night that, you know, the, the top three— uh, between 78 and 79 years old that's pretty uh and how how old is that that's well over a decade older than i am and i am old hey and so so, (laughs) in some ways i kind of think to myself as like it's kind of you know kind of gives everybody hope i'm thinking to myself if i wanted to you know uh, start my run for for the president of the united states at 75 years old i could do it yeah you know so there's a um which brings us up to this last audio cut i want to play for you go for it bernie sanders was pressed last night about if he was going to release these cut number two in real dollars is not making a nickel more than he or she did 45 years ago while the billionaires are getting incredibly richer so the question is can we create a scenario in which the congress listens to ordinary Americans and not just wealthy campaign contributors. And that is what my administration intends to bring about. In in September, just last September, you said that you would release your medical records by uh, before the primaries. Uh, you haven't done that. You have released three letters from doctors, two of them cardiologists. One is your uh, your physician. is releasing full medical records, is that no longer something... No, we have released, I, th- I think, Anderson, quite as much as any other candidate has. We received 
uh, released two rather detailed Did letters uh, from cardiologists, and we received uh, re- released a, a letter that came from the uh, head of the uh, U.S. Uh, Congress uh, medical group, the physicians there. So I think we have released a, a detailed report, and I'm comfortable with what we have done. And by the way, if you think I'm not in good health, come on out with me on the campaign trail, and I'll let you introduce me to the three or four rallies a day that we do. How's that? It's a viable question. It is, and he didn't answer it with Anderson. No, he, he did didn't not. answer it last night. Um, and look, for anyone that thinks somehow these candidates, after everything that they've invested, are going to let some small, you know, in their mind, medical issue derail their campaign, you are uh, foolish in thinking that. And especially someone like Bernie Sanders, who has spent his entire career getting to this moment That's because right. he truly believes Taking in America to communism. Uh, and he's not going to let some, you know heart issue or or whatever he may have and probably does have derail that as far as i know i have not seen him putting nitroglycerin tablets under his tongue before he takes the (laughs) stage i'll tell you this uh if he does capture that nomination they need to get a very very healthy and reliable number two yeah yeah at least biden was open about that says i'm gonna make sure i got a healthy uh you know vice president because i'm not a spring chicken anymore That'll be very interesting. I know we got to go, but uh, something to talk about later. The vice presidential candidate for the Democratic nominee, I think, will be more uh, consequential than ever before. Next week, we'll talk about it. JR, thanks for coming in. Always Good to be with you. Appreciate it. Gilmore Group, Dave Ellswick. I'm back in the 7 o'clock hour coming up. Anybody who's listened to my show for years knows that I'm a huge Indiana Hoosier fan. And uh, in 1976, they did something that no other team has done in college basketball since. And that's that they went 32-0 and that year. They were undefeated. Nobody else has been able to accomplish that feat since, which is kind of like the Miami Dolphin uh, thing still sitting out there in the NFL. Uh but I was just looking through the rosters, and what was so funny about looking through the rosters, uh, uh, Zach, was seeing people that I went to high school with and played against when I was in high school, like Bootsy White and Quinn Buckner and people like that. I was just, uh, just brought back some pretty cool memories. And uh, Downing and, and all the and, and the rest of them that were uh, Indiana uh, players. So, uh we were talking about it because I was talking about that uh, um, Archie Miller seems to be rebuilding Indiana's uh, uh, basketball program that Calvin Sampson destroyed. Uh, they brought him uh, in, uh, what uh, was it, Oklahoma he had been at where he 
fell apart, and then it was Indiana picked him up after Ar- Oklahoma. Archie Miller? No, 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 no. Oh. Not Archie came from Dayton. Right. Okay. No, we're talking. I'm talking uh, Samson. Uh, Samson. He came from Oklahoma, right? And he had had problems there, breaking the rules, and then he came over to Indiana, and then he he got finally blown out at Indiana and should have because he destroyed the program there. And players from that 76 team uh, showed up at Miles Brantley's office. The uh, uh, the head of IU said, what are you doing even thinking about putting this guy in charge? Uh, and had, of course, at that point, the athletic director. And they didn't want him. And sure enough, he did exactly what they said would happen. And now, of course, he's down in Houston, uh, you know, building a program down there now. I just, every time I see him, I just wonder how long before something comes out. He's it's there's always something with him. And when I heard that when they were looking for the new coach here at Arkansas, his name appeared. That's right. And I said, do not bring that man in. I mean, tw- twice he did to two programs. Why would you want to be the third program? You know, so I. I'm glad that they didn't bring him in. It's the same thing with football. What's his name that ended up going over? Was it Mississippi State or Ole Miss? Was that Hugh Freeze? No, it was out at USC there for a while, or UCLA, one of the Pac-12. And uh, everybody, he's he's the big flavor. And it ended up down in Florida and now has come back. He was with Saban over at Alabama. Lane Kiffin. Oh, Lane Kiffin. All right. He's got two. As far as I'm concerned, that's not the guy you want to hire either. He's got all kinds of baggage as well. He he doesn't have any loyalty to his players, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think that baggage came when, he, like I said, he was in his late 30s. You know, like I said, it was early on in his, like I said, when he decided to become a head coach. That's where all the baggage lays. Yeah, he just, he I, just threw, ball, uh, you know. Ath- you know, athletes to decide. Right. He didn't care. And because, you know, schools and, you know, in the NFL, of course, with the Raiders, people just wanted him at the time. And he was young, bright. He was what Sean McVay was with the Rams. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, Shanahan with the 49. He's what they were ten over 10 years ago. But I think 10 years later to now, 2020, he's not the same. Even though, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't hire him as the Arkansas head coach. Let me coach. tell you what, he doesn't have the same bloodline as Shanahan has. Well, he does not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his father, Shanahan's father, you know, look what he did with uh, with uh, Denver. Right. I mean, the man was a, a walking, you know, talking encyclopedia of football and then went over to Washington and changed things and the whole idea there. I mean, that, he did. Yeah, that's, you got to, some of that you're going to learn just through osmosis. Being brought up, you know, by uh, your dad when they're like that. But, you know, Lane Kiffin doesn't have that. He's just a really opportunistic, you know, aggressive um, person. Well, he chose to be with that way because his father, Monty Kiffin, is a historic. Yeah, he was yeah. a great defensive coach. Exactly. You know, so I mean, he Tampa just, Bay. That's, I mean, that was just Lane Kiffin's choices. You know, he chose to be that way. Well, he, yeah, and he was tossing players to the left and right. That's why, you know, with this whole thing with the portal now. I really don't have uh, problems with that because I don't think it's right. You get, you know, the the team comes out and they uh, they want you to come play. They recruit you, they uh, schmooze you or whatever, 
ask you to come to play at their uh their uh you know their program right other big programs that's looking at you mm-hmm. and they're they're they saying we're going to start you and whatnot and then the coach leave you know and knows he's going to leave right all right knows in the back of his mind i don't see myself here longer than a year right okay well, what does that say for the quarterback now that came to play for you because your particular thought offensively yep. is the same thing that goes along with maybe you got the big arm mm-hmm. or whatever and now uh, the guy who comes in he wants you know he's woody hayes you know reincarnated and he wants to run three yards in a cloud of dust <laughs> uh and so that means you're just going to be handing the ball off well that's going to make it tough for you to show pro scouts what you can do exactly all right so i like the, the portal so that the players aren't just wedded completely to where they're at. I always thought it was not right to say, well, I want to go play at another team. And okay, you can, but you got to sit out a year. Right. And it's a year of eligibility you didn't get back. Mm-hmm. That's it, wrong. It just ruins the whole college experience. Yeah. I mean, like I said, while you're young in college and just enjoying your youth while you still have it, that ruins it. That just does. Yeah, and I, I just right. thought that that was, that was wrong because, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, college athletics is like minor leagues, especially in football. Uh, you know, if you're or in basketball as well. I mean, you're only going to play one year in basketball if you're good. You got to play two years if you're playing collegiate football. Right. Uh, there's a you know there's been some players that have tried to break out of that uh, in in college football, but they've been stymied by the nfl and by the ncaa you know what's interesting what i'm thinking about now with the xfl back i'm wondering if there will ever come a time where possibly a high school player who's highly rated say you know what i want to go play in the xfl and then go play in the nfl well Something yeah like i'm just showing sure that happen. i can play yeah Used to be, you know what they did? They'd go play in the Canadian Football League. Yep, that's true. That's not the, that they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, ESPN doesn't show as much Canadian football as they used to. I right. mean, I used to watch Canadian football because it's so weird that you know the fields wider, the fields longer. Uh, you know, you can have more than one man in motion yep. and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. It's really crazy. I mean, watching all of those those ends take off running at the same time for the. For the line of scrimmage before the ball is snapped is just mind-boggling if you're the defense. And that's why in Canadian football, the offenses are so wide open. It's because you do. Have you watched any of the uh, the XFL yet? I have not. They got kind of a a couple of interesting rules. They're trying. They came up with a way that I think uh, they can protect uh, on the kickoffs from ball players getting hurt as much as they were. Okay. When you kick off, neither team can move from the line of scrimmage until the person who's receiving the ball touches it. Say what? And then everybody starts running. Wow. So that that allows the you know the returner to get up ahead of steam but it and, and protect himself a little bit. Yes. Uh, and it keeps the other team from being able to get a big head of steam up. You know, because you watch them run. They come running up to the line as the ball's being kicked. So yeah. they're already 
picking you know picking up uh, momentum. Can't do that in the XFL. I thought that was interesting. That's, I need to watch that. That's very interesting. That was one big rule change I picked up really fast, and I don't think you kick an extra point. You have to go for two. Yeah. Okay. I think you got to always. They're go really for two. promoting the offense. Yeah. They really want the offense yeah. to be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what people go for. That's right. You know, you. you I. I mean, I live by that old adage. You know, you know, offenses are for show, defenses are for championships. Mm-hmm. But still, when you go to the football game, you want to see the defenses shine because that's the much. exciting stuff. It's just like when you go to the baseball game. I enjoy a, pe- a pitcher's duel because being a former pitcher. I know what goes into that. However, I'd much rather be into a home run derby game <laughs> when everybody's just launching, you know. There ain't no failure to launch. It's just get up there and, and knock it out of the ballpark. That's right. You know, we haven't talked about this, Zach. I got to ask you uh, your thoughts. How bad of a season is it going to be for the Astros? How bad? Mm. I mean, seriously. I mean, they're they're already talking. You heard Dusty Baker say, I hope all the other teams won't be throwing beanballs. <sighs> and I, I'm there's some validity in what he's saying. Oh, yeah. There's some players out there, and, and more and more of them are beginning to stand up and talking about how irritated they are that none of the players mm-hmm. are being punished. And I read an article yesterday, in fact, that I did not know that it was the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association that basically set down that they couldn't punish the players. They couldn't talk to them unless they said uh, they they weren't going to, uh, you know, for better words, charge them with a crime, so to speak. That was the uh, that was the. Uh, uh, union that did that, not the owners. Wow. Not the commissioner. MLB uh, PA told him that's the way it had to be. Interesting. So that's why we've not seen a lot of players get disciplined. That's right. And that's why you have you, player- got, you got owners, you got GMs, you got uh, uh, managers that are getting getting hit left and right yeah but no players yeah there's not been a player unless to play unless you were playing and now you were being looked at as a manager mm-hmm. and then they they withdrew their offer to it's you. very interesting because you have austin trout you know of course for the angels he's been speaking out oh he boldly. blew him up the other day and chris bryant blew him up the yep. other day and the yankees player i came with a judge aaron judge yeah. turner from the dodgers right he's been on him mm-hmm. uh, and and i and i think only rightly so look I know there's a lot of people who say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. If you're a major league ball player, you're there because you're good. It's that simple. You're good. You're the best of the best. That's why you're there. And uh, the hitters are there because they can hit the ball. When you look at how difficult it is, when you have no idea what pitch is that's coming in. Yeah. All right. It's hard. Exactly. It's incredibly hard that they can do it at all amazes me at times yeah but i mean 96 98 90 100 miles an hour fastball but if you know it's coming totally different changes the game sit on it you can sit on that's it. that's right you know and uh who was it that said the other day it was uh 
not Judge, the other guy um, that came from Miami. Stanton. Stanton. Yeah, Gene He Clark. said, I'd had 85 home runs if yeah. I knew what the ball, the pitch was that was coming in. Right. It's kind of interesting. All right, we got to get a break in. Enough, enough of me talking baseball. I'm going to have to have Dr. Terry Yamauchi come in because he was quite the ball player in college. Still plays uh, softball uh, with uh, the retirees, so to speak. I'll call it retirement softball. And uh, has won national championships doing that. Uh, he's a little bit down sometimes because I think his he sees his days of doing that are coming to an end. I, I passed that mark about four years ago. I, you remember Andy Pearson used to be on television? Okay, Andy used to play um, what we call old-time hardball. There used to be a, a, a group of guys that got together and played uh, baseball that were over 55, and they still played fast pitch. And uh, I just never could find the time. I always wanted to get back out and lace them up and play and do that. And now I know, and just have my 67th birthday last Saturday, I can't do it anymore. I mean, I understand I can't do it anymore. Fast as I can throw a fastball now is still 89 miles an hour. But that's far short of the 97 miles an hour I could throw when I was in college. Far short of it. It makes a big difference. 10 miles an hour, big difference. Difference between... The ball going over the fence and the ball going past the batter. Let's just put it that way. All right, it's uh, 22 after 7. It's 35 degrees. We've seen some snowflakes around the area. Don't worry. It's not going to stick. Just just go, wow, it's pretty. That's all you do. It's going to uh, be uh, rain and maybe some snow flurries throughout the day. Then it's going to become uh, you know, partly sunny later this afternoon. That's what your weather is looking like right now at 101.1 FM. The answer to home of the Rush Limbaugh program. So in the uh, morning of what's going on in the world of finance, big story coming out. Wall Street Bank Morgan Stanley has now announced that they're going to acquire E-Trade in an all-stock transaction valued at $13 billion. That's with B, not with an M, with a B, billion dollars. Under terms of the agreement, E-Trade stockholders will receive about a dollar four, 1.4 Morgan Stanley shares per E-Trade share, representing a per share consideration of $58.74 or a near 31% premium over E-Trade's closing prices on Wednesday. That's not a bad deal. Go to bed and your E-Trade stock becomes 31% more. Woo, that's not bad. The newly combined companies will have more than $3 trillion in client uh, assets along with 8.2 million retail client relationships and accounts and 4.6 million stock plan participants. That according to Morgan Stanley. So there's the big uh, financial news uh, for today. Right now, Dow Jones is up 115.84 or about a half a percent uh, right now, over 29,000, getting closing in on 29,400. All right, we've got uh, about a minute before we get to the news. And uh, I want to 
ask you, are you within five years of claiming your Social Security? Uh, if you are, uh, know that the decision can be far more complicated than what you realize. I, I found that out uh, early last year when I finally start taking my Social Security. Uh, it can trigger a mountain of taxes, which is true. Uh, it can double your Medicare premiums, and it can cause you to forfeit thousands of dollars and other benefits. And it could end up costing you hundreds of thousands uh, of dollars uh, for sure. Now, you can learn how you can avoid that at this educational event that's going on uh, tonight, uh, Maximizing Social Security with David Lucas. I don't know if they have any seats available now. Uh, they're $20, plus you get a 40-page uh, workbook. But the seating is limited. Now, they were down to just five seats, uh, uh, I think, earlier this week. So there may be a sold out, but I would call just to make sure. It uh, goes down tonight at 6 p.m. in North Little Rock. So if you've saved more than $250,000, you've not filed, not filed for Social Security, call to get your ticket now at 501-222-3315. That's uh, 501-222-3315. What you want to do and uh, check it out because I'm telling you, there's a lot of you're going to have a lot more questions than you think you're going to have. It's it's more than just calling up and saying, hey, I want to start my Social Security. There's some things that you got to take into consideration to make sure uh, that you're really not going to just screw yourself or, or screw as uh, Rush would say. In fact, what does Rush have to say? He's up right now here on the Dave Ellswick show. All right, I got a story for you. Uh, if I'm going to just say, if you are someone that's over 50, you're going to immediately know what I'm talking about. If you're not, just hang with me, okay? And and I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, if the younger you are, the less you'll look at the story and, and just go, eh, you know, kind of give that meh kind of feeling to it. It's hard to believe, but on May 4th of this year, it's going to be uh, the 50th anniversary of the shooting at Kent State University. Now, to prove my point of what I just said, let me just pull the microphone over to you there, uh, Zach. Do you have any idea what happened at Kent State on May the 4th? No idea. No idea, 50 years ago. Well, that's where... Ohio National Guardsmen were on campus because of some um, rioting that had occurred, and they fired on unarmed students and killed some students on campus. That's what happened. Now, there, look, you can read countless books from both sides of the argument of did the uh, National Guardsmen uh, feel threatened and so they opened fire, or did, were they just untrained? And they open fire. There's a, there's a lot of evidence on both sides. However, it's something that really registered, uh, you know, seriously in the psyche of uh, Americans. It really shook this country when that happened. It's just something that none of us thought that would we'd ever see was seen 
uh, American military personnel open firing on our own people. Witnesses, military and law enforcement experts, historians and activists are divided on whether the shooting was justified. And uh, I agree with what the story says. That's a discussion for another day. But it appears that Kent State is going all in on pouring salt in the wounds of America's Vietnam veterans. If you had to pick someone to talk at commencement at Kent State on the 50th commemoration of the shooting, who's somebody that you would think that you would never have come? Much less, they're going to pay this person $83,000 to come and speak. $83,000. Let me say that again. $83,000. If you're a Vietnam vet, the name I'm going to say will probably piss you off. Jane Fonda. Yeah, Hanoi Jane. That's what we knew her as, Hanoi Jane. See, Zach, you don't know about this. She went to Vietnam while we were fighting, while our our men and women were being killed over there trying to help the South Vietnamese and uh, stood and sat in an anti-aircraft battery for pictures, uh, you know, traitorous actions nonetheless. And people are just stunned. The uh, president of Kent State announced that the actress, activist, and former and there's a question mark behind that. Communist sympathizer uh, Fonda will be one of the speakers at an anniversary commemoration of the shooting on May the 3rd. And that she'll be paid a whopping $83,000 to reminisce about her anti-war activism. Quote, the 50th anniversary of one of Ohio's darkest days has the potential to serve as a moment of unity, understanding, and healing in a nation that is deeply divided. It was said by a former 101st uh, Airborne Division uh, server and uh, later a Green Beret who earned a Bronze Star for his service in Iraq. Uh, LaRose is his name. His uh, last name is LaRose. I'm looking to find out what his first name is because I don't have that in the story but uh, he says however Kent State's decision to pay Jane Fonda $83,000 to speak at their commemoration event does the very opposite and uh, he says that Vietnam vets deserved a much better reception than the one they received when they came home from Vietnam because they weren't the politicians who chose which battle to fight. They were the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines sent into the battle. And we should say one thing to them, welcome home. And we've, we've made up for some of that over the last 10 to 15 years where we've had marches after 9-11 and whatnot. And we've invited Vietnam vets, as rightly we should, 
to march with the other uh, military members. While LaRose says he understands that people can disagree on policy issues, especially matters of war, quote, what's not okay is providing aid and comfort to the enemy and willfully serving as a propaganda tool for those engaged in hostilities against the United States. And Miss Fonda did that, the very definition of treason. And LaRose noted that Twitter on Twitter that he supports free speech, but the university should not be paying $83,000 for the privilege. And man, I can't agree any more than what this guy has just said. Young people will have no idea why older Americans are going to get bent out of shape about this. Do some checking on your history. It's important that you do that. Do some checking on history to understand why people feel this way about her. And there's a lot of facts, not just feelings, facts about this. I I remember my brother was serving in Vietnam when she did that. And I took serious, serious uh, umbrage to it uh, at the time. All right, 742, better known as, you know, 13 minutes until 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Bugman's going to stop by. We're going to talk to him, see what's going on. And it's 35 degrees. We've had a little bit of snowflakes. I don't know if it's falling anymore. Is it still falling? Can you tell? I couldn't tell. I can't. I, there's a little bit of, it's kind of foggy out there again today. And we're looking for uh, moving into partly sunny with a high near 46 degrees today. That's your weather. Let's find out the traffic. That's up right now here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. For you who remember Kent State, you remember this. I just think that this president of the, that, that college, Kent State, just out of his mind. I just don't understand why he thinks having Jane Fonda of all people, I mean, having John Kerry would be bad enough, but to have Jane Fonda, who went into North Vietnam during that time and sat on an anti-aircraft battery, for propaganda pictures, come in and speak, and then pay her $83,000 to reminisce about her anti-war activism. Unbelievable. Just, I hope the people of Ohio just uh, raise enough cane that they'll resend their offer to her. I'm sure that that can be done. But, I mean, I... This is, yeah, it really did. I got the story. I saw the story today. It just totally flipped me out. 
because, um, you know, I was talking to, to Zach in the break, and Zach's 28, all right? So it's a 28, right? Am I right? 27, okay. And, you know, he probably doesn't have a clue about a lot of the stuff that went on during the late 60s, early 70s. And and uh, I'm, I'm sure if I talk to him about the anti-war movement uh, back in that that day in six in, in the you know the late 60s 65 on 68 in Chicago things of that nature you know he may have heard some but he doesn't really know what happened uh, unless he's done some reading extensive reading about it so uh, you know it's hard to for people to understand when people hear Jane Fonda uh, is going to come and speak at Kent State. Why people would say anybody but Jane Fonda, and 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 look, I have no problem freedom of speech. Whatever she wants to say, I do know that paying her eighty three thousand dollars is beyond the pale. I, I got to think that you can figure out how to pay a lot less money than that uh, for her. I mean. What has she really done? I mean, she marched during the Vietnam War. Then she became a health guru and had her all of her uh, her tapes about you know buns of steel and all that crap. She married Ted Turner. Uh, then she divorced Ted Turner, and now she's out. Um, I guess she's becoming. Is it last thing I heard? Did she become an animal activist or something? You know, she's got, see, she, she's one of those people. She's got to be out in front of people all the time. That's where she finds her worth is people looking at her with, you know, fawning looks. Oh, it's Jane Fonda. I don't look at her that way. Just saying. And, um, I hope Kent State rescinds that invitation, say the least. All right. So does your dog really feel love? Uh, we'll, we'll, end on something not as controversial as Jane Fonda, all right? Although this might be more controversial than I'd like to say. Because you know, when you start talking about people and their pets, you can get controversial real fast. There's a new book that argues that when it comes to dogs, the word love is necessary to understanding what has made the relationship between humans and our furry best friends one of the most significant interspecies partnerships in history. Clive uh, Wynn, founder of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University. Yes, your tax dollars for people in Arizona State and in America goes for this. Makes the case in, quote, love, a dog is love. Why and how your dog loves you. The animal psychologist 59 began studying dogs back in the early 2000s and like his peers believed that to ascribe complex emotions to them was to commit the sin of giving uh, human emotions to animals until he was swayed by a body of evidence that was growing too big to ignore. Quote, I think there comes a point when it's worth being skeptical of your skepticism, the Englishman said. Canine science has enjoyed a resurgence in the past two decades, much of it extolling dog smarts. 
Titles like, quote, The Genius of Dogs, unquote, by Brian Hare, have advanced the idea that dogs have an innate and exceptional intelligence. When, however, plays spoil sport, arguing that Fido is just not that brilliant. Pigeons can identify different kinds of objects in 2D images. Dolphins have shown that they can understand grammar. Honeybees signal the location of food sources to each other through dance. All feats that no dogs have ever been known to accomplish. Even wolves, dogs' ancestor, uh, known for their ferocity and lack of interest in people, have shown that ability to follow human cues including in a recent Swedish study by playing fetch. Uh, Wynn proposes a paradigm shift synthesizing cross-disciplinary research to say that it is dogs' hypersociability or extreme gregariousness that sets them apart. One of the most striking advances comes from studies regarding oxytocin, a brain chemical that cements emotional bonds between people but which is, according to new evidence, also responsible for the interspecies relationships between dogs and humans. Now, he does not go as far to say that your dog has a a cognitive ability to say, I love my master. You know, he's not, he probably doesn't have a word for it. He just feels that way because of these neurochemicals Uh, sequences that are happening within his brain. So when Fido is coming up to you and wants to sit by you and throws those puppy eyes at you, uh, that's just, you know, a syndrome that they have. They, They call it Williams syndrome. It's a desire to form close connections, to have warm relationships and, uh, you know, to feel loved. And I mean, you got to break this down where you say, well, what is love? And love is chemical kind of equation. It's chemicals inside your brain acting and reacting. They give you the feeling of love. They give you that uh, feeling of butterflies in your stomach and all of that raises your heart rate or whatever. But, you know, your dog's not going to put on a, not going to go out and buy you some chocolates and bring them and sit them at your feet or go and tear, you know, flowers out of your garden and bring them to you and tell you how much he loves you like that. But wants to sit by you and be petted by you because he has that same kind of chemical dependency. All right. So Zach, last night I did something that I've been wanting to do for quite some weeks. In fact, months, I watched Joker last night. I saw it. It's a a great movie. There's no doubt. It's the kind of movie that you watch and you kind of walk out and you feel bad because you liked it. And I know you've seen it, so you probably understand what I'm saying. Yes. All right. What I was kind of interested in and what I found interesting is that they said that this was such a standalone movie, but the whole Batman mythology plays out i mean everybody's names and everything is all from the the batman dc comics right i mean from thomas wayne to Mm -hmm. you know uh you know his his last name to his mother Mm -hmm. who was crazy and 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 you know let her boyfriend mistreat him all of that 
is from Kane and the guys who who brought up uh, Batman. And of course, at the end of the movie, I'm not giving anything away here. I don't believe uh, they replay the the beginning of the Batman saga. So, yep. uh, my son and I had a long discussion afterwards, and I told him they had already greenlit Joker two. They're going to do uh, a second movie, and they have announced that the Batman will play a large part in it. And he says, oh, I don't like that. I thought it was going to be a standalone. I said, how can you even say that after watching the movie? You know, this is how the the Joker came to be the psychopath that he was. And I said, I mean, the whole Batman thing plays up right in front of you. The The whole thing. And I thought it was good. I mean, look, let's... Let me be, you know, completely uh, transparent here and telling you that uh, Phoenix, uh, not Phoenix, um, who played the Joker? Heath Ledger. No, not Heath Ledger. In the Joker, the movie, the oh, Joker. Oh yeah, you said Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin, yeah. Joaquin. Uh, I was going to say River Phoenix, and that's not right. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, who played it and got the Best Actor award, rightfully deserved it he was awesome yes he was he was really good i mean if you ask me who did the best joker i would always say that it was uh heath ledger but i'm going to tell you now i think uh joaquin phoenix is the best joker he was great that scene towards the end where he's bleeding and he takes the blood and Pulls it across his lips and out in that smile. That is a powerful moment in that motion picture. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you can get it at Redbox. That's what we got it last night. The other movie I watched last night real quickly was Jojo Rabbit. You seen it? Tell me about that. It's well, a great movie. Okay. You'll want to see it. It's Red a great Box movie. Too? What? Redbox? Yeah, Redbox has got it. Okay, because I want to watch that. Good movie. You're going to laugh. It's kind of a Mel Brooks-ish written book, uh, movie about the Nazis in World War II. If you want to watch something that, uh, it's not slapstick, but it's good comedy. That movie is very good and has an overriding fact. See you tomorrow, or see you next hour, pardon me, 8 o'clock. Bugman's coming in. really bad so i guess uh you know a little bit of rain and then everybody saw the snow and they suddenly tried to go to the the, the closest grocery store so i don't know
just uh, interesting. So anyway, we're waiting on some guests, and uh, they're supposed to be getting here, but they're not here yet. So we'll hope that they'll make it uh, here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. So uh, big story today uh, as you're coming into uh, Little Rock for work today or Jacksonville or wherever it is that you work, Conway, uh, is that uh, if you're going to stand around the water cooler or whatever, you know, figuratively, wherever you're standing and you're talking to your your uh, your buddies or your your sisters or whatever, uh, is going, one of the big ones is going to be about the the Democratic debate last night, and people are going to going to say something. Well, who do you think won? Well, I'm going to tell you that uh, the overall consensus that I've been able to uh, you know, garner from all the different articles that I've read, and I've read several now this morning. Uh, is that it was Warren, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren won last night, and more because she was just uh, so aggressive and out front that, and it was, they must have just wrote her up a bunch of one-liners that she could attack Bloomberg with, and that's what she did, and 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 that one-liner kind of stuff is the stuff that. Uh, people remember they they remember a good one liner and when he, she went after Bloomberg about you know when you think of women do you think of dog faced lesbians and things of that nature which is something that uh, Bloomberg said one time and I think it was about somebody that was uh, a member of the royal family in England if I'm not mistaken so. Uh, and then talking about the non-disclosure acts that he's made so many women uh, sign and being asked if he was going to make those public. And as Elizabeth Warren said, so that we'll, uh, we'll know about what the people who had to put up with you went through. Uh, he really got, he, he was opened up to being attacked. I do believe some of the stuff that came out earlier late last week, early this week, may have been from his own campaign to try to mitigate some of this so that, you know, the first time people are hearing it wasn't from the debate stage. You know, I think most people had already heard about the farmer thing. You know, dig a hole, put a seed in it, cover it up, water it, and it grows. uh, And basically saying it doesn't take a lot of gray matter to do that, which shows that, yeah, he's not been on an American farm in a long time. So he hurt himself with that. Uh, the whole non-disclosure uh, thing, I think perhaps that would be the one that really hurts him because that hasn't been talked about as much. Uh, I do believe they were the ones that let out uh, the information about him saying we have to have a, a tough talk in America about taking care of elderly people in this country and not and 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 wasting valuable medical re, uh resources on them uh and not just telling them to you know it's your duty uh to die and and uh uh you know give it up sounds like my guests i think are here they're ringing our doorbell and saying we're here we're ready to come in and talk so we're going to do that here in a second is there some things I, I do want to talk to them about? But the bottom line is, uh, 
last night was not a good night for Bloomberg. In fact, it was a bad night for Mike Bloomberg. Uh, He looked totally out of his element. I mean, he runs all these companies. He's not used to having to hold up his hand, you know, hold up his hand and say, hey, you know, I, uh, I, I want to speak kind of stuff. So you got all, you know, got all of that. So just, just keep that in mind. Okay. Let's grab a quick break, give you your traffic. And then our guests will have, uh, will join us here on the Dave Ellswick show. All right. Back with you. All right, guys, your mics are hot. Good morning. Everybody Good morning. can hear you today. Dwight's here and Billy's here. And let me just tell you something. If you live in Arkansas, you want to take care of bugs. And I've talked about the bug man for a long, long time. And I want to take a few moments today to talk about it because I'm thinking now's the time to get ahead of the problem. Is that right, Dwight? That's correct. Okay. I'm going to have you lean into that mic when you talk. There you go. All right. How's this? So what do, what do we want to do? I mean, there are certain things you got to do. If you're a homeowner, you got to do termites. That's just something you got to do. That's true. A lot of people make a mistake of letting it lapse or they don't see the importance in it, and then they realize it too late. But also, other than termites, you know, get prepared for it's time. If you have not done your cleanup from last fall, uh, cleaning up around the house has a big impact on, you know, preventing insects in the house. Okay, okay. Can it cause them to start moving around too? It can. It can, yes. you. If you've got big piles of leaves that have been there all winter and you and you go remove them, then you're going to You saw it. my backyard. No. Well, I've seen everyone's backyard. <laughs> yeah. It's been, there's been a lot of wet weekends, so I understand mm-hmm. the leaves. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I've still got – I got them piled up, but they're in several, like, three big piles. It's yeah. not been dry enough to burn them. Uh, there's there's some critters in there. Yeah, I'm sure that there are. So uh, Billy is here as well. Let me ask something about rain. You talking? Dwight was just talking about rain. Rain has got to flood. I would think insects out of their homes and the ground, and they're they're kind of looking for dry spots just as much as you or I would if they get, we got caught in a rainstorm. Exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of people they can make mistakes by you know not cleaning their gutters out and things like that, or having firewood stacked next to the house, and it, those those insects use those things as harborage areas. Then you get you know things heavy rain or something like that. They're gonna you know leave that area, and the first closest place is gonna be your house. You know, so yeah, they want a little extra room, don't they? Exactly. Exactly. It does promote a lot of issues: rain, moisture, things like that. Okay, something that I've seen this year that I didn't see in the previous years at my house, mm-hmm. sugar ants. That's what we call them, the little tiny sugar ants. Yeah. Not, not carpenter ants, the big right. ones, the little tiny ones. Are they more prevalent now this year than they have been in the past? In times past, they were mainly a springtime, summertime, warm weather problem. But every year we see a little bit more of all through the winter activity of of those ants of course it's been very mild this winter but if they move their colony inside the house or into the structure at some point or somewhere and in the, if it's a house a crawl space they might get in there or uh, in the walls where it's warm enough for them to stay active they'll be active year-round and that's typically what's happened they've they found a great nesting spot in the structure of the home you know, it's crazy trying to stop them I mean, I, I, I'm, I've done everything that I can, and 
I put out the, you know, the ant motels and, right. and all that stuff. But I still see them. And I know if I see one or two of them, there's more than that. And they're leaving chemical trails for their their yeah, friends. That's correct. Because they found some food somewhere. Yeah, I think a lot of people make a mistake of trying to do it themselves with products that are, you know, products that are more like a repellent type product. Mm-hmm. And with those type of ants, you know, they have, you know, numerous queens and they forces them to split up and things like that. So you're... I mean, just because it has a label, you know, an ant on the can doesn't mean it's going to be effective. Just because know? it says, yeah, you doesn't need to, mean that yeah, it exactly. really works, you right? You need to know the biology has to really take care of them effectively, you know. So let's talk about what you all do. What does Bug Band do that these kind of people or, or I can't do? Uh, I'm sure that you, you're able to see the telltale signs of, you know, infestation and where maybe mm-hmm. the ants are gaining entry and things of that nature. Yes. So it's just from experience and being able to determine the things that are making your home more attractive to that pest issue that we can, you know, work with you on getting that corrected more than just trying to overwhelm them, you know, with a product to kill them. And so, you know, it takes more and more uh, through every year. We need more and more cooperation for to make our products work and our systems work uh and and that's where you know that's pretty much where they want us to move to is 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 the key to be consistent on whatever the plan is that you all decide needs to be followed to get rid of whatever critter it is i mean it's got to be yeah. it's got to be different for spiders than it is for ants and mm-hmm. got to be different for roaches than it is for ants and uh, ants and spiders yeah, we're we're trained on you know focusing and and recognizing conditions that are you know that are favorable to those type of pests. So we can you know re- make recommendations to avoid that you know having you know pests coming inside and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's there's a lot involved with it. You know, as far as be you know focusing on what we can see, ground level entry points, things like that, more preventative actions than than you know reactive actions. Yeah, so what what's the main critter that people call you guys about? Is it roaches or is it spiders? I'm just thinking it's got to be between those two. <laughs> well, it's uh, the uh, the outdoor roaches, the large roaches that people call water bugs. No, oh, okay. Are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we get a lot of calls for those, uh, and when they start wrecking the yards and then it gets warm up in the spring, they'll get a lot more active and end up in the house. But the ants is still, even nationwide, is the number one pest. Okay, now, which kind of ant? Is it carpenter ants? Is it sugar ants? Is it fire ants? Well, it is actually <laughs> what they they call the odorous house ant, which is what you're calling the sugar ant. Okay, the uh, little uh, tiny one. Yes, yes. And uh, we they actually put out a, a unusual scent. And sometimes when you uncover a nest, you can they put out this pheromone that's so strong you can actually smell it. Really? If you mm-hmm. disturb it, or if you, you know, if you want to crush them with your finger and the smell of your finger, you can say, "Ah, oh, I know which one that is." Okay, but yeah. I'll pass. Okay, I understand. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a pass on that one. <laughs> I'll pass on that. I, yeah. I just uh, you know I I typically they don't bother me that much. My wife hates them. Right. They, they, it's like you can never get rid of them you know if, if you get them and you get them un- i think you just can get them under control because i i okay. try to set up what's called the demilitarized zone <laughs> at my house 
as long as you stay on the outside of the de, uh, the demilitarized zone, Correct. I have no yes. problem with you. You yeah. cross that, you're fair game at that point. You you hit on a point that uh, this uh, species of ant will nest in almost anywhere. You know, and they're not like carpenter ants where you know where their nesting sites are going to be, but they'll nest in roof valleys and in gutters and under rocks and we just you know in under a house between the insulation and the floorboards or the, wow. you know, the subfloor and they they uh they move a lot and they spread a lot and you can eliminate them in your yard and if they're nearby outside your dmz dave and then they split and they'll just move right back in <laughs> you know they're, they're always coming all right I mean, what about fire ants? I've heard, you know, you find the fire ant hill, the the last thing you want to do is to disturb it, because if you disturb it, they will move the queen and start another colony. Is that right? Yeah, they're very mobile. I mean, a lot of lawn mowing and things like that, people putting down the wrong product and not getting it effectively, they can move real easy. It's like waves hitting the shore, you know. You get some, get you know, removed, and here comes a, another batch of them, so. They could be pretty difficult. Yeah, whenever I see my next-door neighbors got four or five hills in, in their yard, mm-hmm. I start watching because <laughs> I know they're going to move. They're going to come over. Fire ants have multiple queens in a colony, not just one, and they've got little escape tunnels that radiate several feet out from that dirt mound that you see. And at the first sign of uh, danger, they'll pick her up and head down the escape tunnel and and spread so that's why it's so hard to just you know nuke that little mound and, and get rid of them well i've yeah. seen you know people get out and they they pour a lot of uh flammable liquid on them and, and light <laughs> oh, yeah. it up and all of that and i yes. think to myself yeah you burned you've 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 gone in and carpet bombed the top of the <laughs> thing but you've not gotten into the real part of the nest that's it's underneath the, the ground yeah that's right yeah, yeah. It's baits are slow acting, but they are very effective. And some of the newer products that transfer effect from the that can by social contact of social insects like uh, like ants, you know, that they transfer it from one ant to the other to the other. And the way they share food in an ant colony is is makes it effective well, you want to get you want to give them something and, and i know you guys do this because i've used the bug man before on fire ants because i had a big problem with them one year uh you guys sprinkle stuff kind of around the nest where they forage for food and then they carry that back into the nest feed the queen and kill the queen you That's kill right. the queen you kill the nest correct take a little yes. bit of time It'll take a little bit of time, yeah, they, because you know they they have to reproduce so fast, and they don't have that capability to overcome that. Once the queen dies, yes, they will, they die out. But they do have multiple queens, so you have to to get them all. But yeah, that's why the bait product is, you know, you're not going to see instant results. All right, so somebody calls you guys up. They called the bug man. What's going to happen? What what are they going to ask when you call in? And then what's going to happen from there? They're going to ask, uh, they're going to set up an appointment. We'll come out and analyze, you know, give them a, uh, most of our services. We have a ballpark or we have a set service. We'll go out there and okay. give, them the, give them the price and get started on it. And then tell you how, how much they're going to do as far as, you know, every situation is different. Time. 
Yes, yes, and, and set up and uh, a set program and to return, and some of those are custom made for the problems. Some people only have problems with one issue, you know, with one pest, and some of them have multiple issues, and so it's more custom made for what they actually have. All right, so just think, there's a lot of different bugs out there. There are plenty of bugs in the world. Just yes. know that, and some of them are not as big of a problem as others. I mean, I think about roaches, and I think about some spiders that you don't want, you know, recluse and things of that nature. Right. So um, something that I have to do is give a call to the bug man, have you guys come out and take a look. Dwight and Billy with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're getting ready here in just a moment to go to uh, Sean Hannity uh, for his morning update. Where do people call? You got the number handy for us? 501-663-9464. He had it handy. He's carrying it between his ears. Oh, I've had it in there for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, how long have you how, how long have you and the and Bugman been together? It'll be thirty years here in about three weeks. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah. fantastic. Really is. Yeah. All right. How about you, Billy? How long have you been doing this? I've been, well, I've been in the industry for about 21, 22 years. I've been with Bugman happily for 12 years now, I think it is. Okay. 12 years. So yeah. you've been in the trenches for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I've seen, some, right. seen some challenging issues out there. So. All right. Dwight, give us the phone number again. 501-663-9464. Call now. Let them uh, set up an appointment. Come out. You might have a specific uh, critter you want taken care of. But they might find, just let you know, they might find some other critters that you need to deal with even before you deal with the one you think you need to deal with. That's true. All right. yeah. Dwight and Billy from the Bugman. Hey, thanks so much, guys. We'll have you back you, on, Dave. and we'll talk yeah, specifically about this stuff. All right. Sean is here. Here's what he's got for you today. Hey, Pat Davis is here in the studio with me for the next half hour. And if you're still struggling and wrestling uh, with what to do about your health care, I've asked Pat to come back in and, and give you all of the information you need. Now, Pat, I got something in the mail the other day. I didn't think I needed it anymore. I got a, uh, a, a, a uh, not a slip, but a, a form from the government proving that I had had health insurance last year. I didn't think you needed to show that anymore for your taxes. Um. That may be something different for seniors. I yeah, don't know. I'm just going to drop it in. I'm Medicare, watch so. out who you call senior. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. Just, I am too, I guess, <laughs> technically. What, what is, what's your age? I'll be 62 in July. Okay. Yeah, you're, not, you're a young whippersnapper. <laughs> I just turned Saturday, turned 67 years yeah. old. Yeah. Is a stunner. That's a that's stunner. You wake up and you go, who is that in the mirror? <laughs> that's I've not right. seen that guy before. <laughs> anyway, but Pat's here. For people that are my age, all right, you got Medicare already, but you do need a supplement. Look, Medicare pays, like a lot of insurances do, 80% of whatever it is they pay on, but they leave you with 20% that you've got to make up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a supplement, that can be a significant amount of money. So what uh, can, can you help? Uh, my listeners that are in that kind of a, a gap well actually my my focus is for those who that are under 65 okay yeah that's the young whippersnapper yeah yeah i know people that do you know the other and i've done a lot of the medicare stuff but yeah my my focus is definitely for those who are under 65 and um 
I'd like, if I could, share a, a concept I came up with recently that really helps people to understand uh, pretty much everybody I talk to feels like health insurance is one of the hardest things to understand. And honestly, I think the insurance companies purposely keep people in the dark about a whole lot of stuff, so they really don't know what's going to happen. And Sure, go. So the example that I like to use is, well, first of all, can you imagine going to a car lot and picking up a brand new pickup, and then they'll tell you you'll know what the cost is going to be in six weeks? That's what it's like with health care. People go and they have extensive stuff done at the hospital or whatever, and then six weeks later they get a bill. Mm-hmm. They have no clue what that's going to be as far as cost. And what has happened is President Trump signed an executive order that would show you've, or hospitals would be mandated. You have to show your true cost, your true prices, and all that kind of stuff. Well, hospitals turned around and sued him. So now it's going to be 2021 before that's going to you know, be reality. But it's a big thing because when you can show people how much stuff really costs, it's going to drive prices down. And you and I have had enough conversations. We both know where we stand on the aisle. Anyway, of course, everybody knows where you stand. But um, <laughs> politically, you know, I hear people all the time, the Democrats have the best things as far as, you know, the, the Republicans don't have anything for prescriptions and whatever else. The reality is, is we've been forced in under Obamacare. So there is nothing really that has been done. And I fault both sides, honestly. And I know they've thrown stuff out there and they're saying, oh, it's just sitting on McConnell's desk. But the reality is, is they're horrible bills and they're going to take more from our government. And that's why they hate what they're doing. So I am interested to see what they're going to come out with for pre-existing and different things like that. What I never want to see, especially with my line of work, is any kind of a government-run health care. The more I study it, you know, they just try to snow people. But look at England, look at Canada, all those places. So what I started to do to illustrate health insurance is think of it, I'm not a gambler. But if I was, if I'm going to go to Tunica or I'm going to go to, a, uh, you know, any kind of a casino, I want to use house money. I don't want to use my money. Yeah, that's so true. So last year, my wife and I had $28,000 in medical bills. And we're a few months away from our 40th wedding anniversary. And so that was the hardest year in our marriage as far as our health care. With that said, we had no money out of pocket, Dave. None. That's incredible. Yeah, including our deductible, and we had about 2700 left over. So what I've been explaining it lately is think of it this way. You have two options for health care. One is like I have, where I have roughly 30000 and some change that I am given by the insurance company, if you would, my bills after everything paid and everything, I walk away with $2,700. Walk away from the table at $2,700. So no money sense. out of pocket, including my deductible. That's way different than when I was on Obamacare. I would have been out of pocket about ten dollars to $15,000 in the same scenario. Okay. So it goes to, to show knowing what the cost is of things gives you some leverage. Absolutely. And if you have a network that works with that cost... I had a guy that said, man, Pat, your insurance is terrible. And I said, why you say that? He said, because it didn't pay anything. I said, 
It's because you had a specific pre-existing condition that I told you you're going to pay for if something happens. So he drives, he lives the same area as we do in Cabot, and he drives over to Memphis, and he could have just drove right into a landmine and stepped on a landmine, but he walked into a gold mine without even knowing it because he said, you're, the company didn't pay anything. I said, you're right, but your discount from our network was 80%. So his like his brother in law, whoever's an insurance agent and all smart alky and oh, you got that bad kind of insurance, you gotta have a Blue Cross plan or you gotta have one of those major medical plans. And I said, you know what's gonna happen? The next time you go to use your plan, you're gonna pay all of that out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. You paid less than a thousand dollars on a five thousand dollar surgery bill. That's pretty good. And so what we do is we help people to rethink healthcare. I've got people who are leaving their work insurance as long as they're not under some kind of thing, you know, they have to only do it certain times of the year or whatever. I've got whole families. I used to have just people, one or two people from a family. But what's cool is now I have people saying, it's costing us so much. I can get them a better plan for less money, even though their employer's paying for a whole lot of their insurance. That's crazy. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, and I'm constantly saving people 50%. 50%. You know, I'm starting to do some stuff with the fish in other places in the country, and I'm saving people a third. I mean, th- their premiums are a third with us in some cases. But around here, our rates are good. But one of the coolest things is I had a guy the other day, he said, Pat, I got bit by our neighbor's dog. I went to the urgent care. I got a check for almost $500 from the company. That would have been all money out of pocket and not a good experience anyway because of what happened with the dog. Right. He goes, I think I'm going to try and bite myself and go back to the urgent <laughs> care. <laughs> that was pretty good. Right. And I had a guy that uh, his wife went to the doctor. She got a check for 100 bucks from the insurance company. And he goes, kids, if you even get a sniffle, we're going to the doctor. So it's pretty incredible that whole concept. And it just totally is different than anything that people have ever seen in the insurance industry. So I just tell people, call me. You know, my ads are on all the time. They're on the fish. They're on the sister station. They're on here. Yep. I heard one on here on the way when I was coming over. Yep. And I've got some new ads. I've got them right here that I'm bringing out. And there's some questions that I want people to think about. Why do you continue to exercise these definition of insanity, right? Yeah. Definition of insanity, Einstein said, is to do the same thing over and over and expect the same results. So when my son was a young child, he would love to play video games, and I was kind of like his coach, and I would say, Josh, turn left, turn right, do whatever, and we had these games. He took the same turn every time, went through the same door, and he got eaten by the monster. (laughs) And I got to the point where I'm like, Josh, if you go through that door one more time, I'm going to kill you. Of course, we're joking, but... We used to laugh about it so much, but it would be like, okay, it's time to try something different. But people don't think that way when it comes to healthcare. They just think, you know what, I'm going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in the next 20 years for health insurance. Uh Uh-uh, not my clients. All right, we're going to come back, talk further with Pat here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Phone number to reach Pat, 501-605-6935. That's 501-605. 605-6935 or look him up on the internet yourhealthplanman.com that's your y-o-u-r yourhealthplanman.com 
845 or a quarter till 935 degrees, looking for a high of 45 and some sunny skies a little later on here in central Arkansas. All right, we got 12 uh, minutes left with Pat Davis. He's joined us today for a few minutes just to tell you shopping for health insurance shouldn't be, you know, rocket science. You should be able to get hold of somebody like Pat, and uh, not only can he get you some good health insurance, he can save you a lot of money. His phone number is 501-605-6935. Let me give you that one more time, 501 605 6935 or go visit him on his website at your health plan man that's one word your health plan man.com are there like general questions that people approach you with a lot pat yeah in in fact um i put together um i like to do a lot of different ads you know i'm here on the 101.1 the answer and then on the sister station the fish and uh one ad i'm working on right now it's um Things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> and um, That's a lot for me, I'm telling you. <laughs> so one of the questions that I get a lot or that I ask is, why do you pay so much or too much for health insurance? Um, are you ever going to get out of your health insurance anywhere near the sometimes well over $100,000 it's going to cost you in premiums over the years? Uh, why do you stay in a system um, with a status quo plan that works off of a broken system that just yeah. becomes more and more broken as we go. Uh, why accept the lie that the only kind of insurance out there is a big plan with a Blue Cross or an Ambetter and those big companies like that? Um, why does it seem like always everything that you spend goes toward your deductible? Um, you know, and, and this is a separate thing, but did you know that health share plans, and they have their place, but they're not insurance. Um, were you aware that our plans cost sometimes half or even better than the other kind of plans that are out there? And then really the last question I have is, and it goes right along with it, if I have a client I mentioned that paid, uh, got paid $100 for a specialist visit, why would you want to pay a $50 or $100 copay for that same specialist visit. Well, you didn't have to. Exactly. You That's don't the have key. To. Yeah. So the, the, the bottom line question to me then I have right here is why wouldn't you give me an opportunity to share what we do and see if maybe I can do the same is for you? Is it a problem for some people? Well, it just sounds too good to be true. Oh, absolutely. I hear it all the time. And, and as we were just talking, Dave, one of the cool things for me is I've been doing this for a little bit over a year now with my company I'm with, and in that time, I have somewhere over 100 people, families, or whatever that I'm helping, and no one leaves my insurance unless they're, you know, insurance at work becomes almost free or something like that. And I've only had a few people that have, and I told you about one of them, and they just didn't use the insurance the way I told them to. But I do things different. I've already created five videos that I sent to my clients on how to use the insurance, how to get the most use out of our network, how to use your card. Best thing for going to the doctor, just pay cash. You're going to get the best discount at every doctor by just paying cash Mm -hmm. and then get reimbursed about a week and a half later. That's pretty good. And so what I've done is I've built and I'm building a system 
to where people get the absolute best possible experience that they're going to have with insurance. And like I mentioned before the break, I kind of use the analogy of, you know, going to a casino. I don't want to use my own money if I'm not a gambler, so I wouldn't do it anyway. So somebody said, here, here's a thousand dollars. Yeah, why not? Right. I'll go and yeah, your money, have some mine. fun. That's their money. Well, that's what happens with our insurance. If your bill is greater than the amount of money, you pay the difference. If your money's left over, you get a check from the company. Ten checks or in that range that Marsh and I, my wife and I, received last year from the insurance company. If you've never received a check and you pay a copay every time you go everywhere and everything goes toward your deductible, that's the definition of insanity would be to keep that kind of a plan and not call and say, hey, what's going on? I need to know more about this. Hmm. And I encourage people to go to my website. I've got copies of the videos from when I've been on your show, multiple videos. And I also have... Uh, a number of blogs that I've written, like one of them I wrote was called Air Scambulance because it's one of the greatest scams there is. There are some times where people are metaflighted with a helicopter or a plane with a Cessna, right? And right. sometimes the flight costs as much or at least half as much as they paid for the airplane that's or in- the helicopter. That's incredible. That's sick. Yeah. It's just really, really sick. You can go to three hospitals Stay overnight for three nights for exactly the same thing in this central Arkansas, and you'll pay twice as much for one as you would for another sometimes. That's just wrong. And pretty soon, though, you'll know a lot of this because you'll be able to check out prices. Yeah. Yeah, I tell people, Dave, go and load two grocery carts at the grocery store and then say, bill me in a couple weeks. That's what we do with healthcare all of the time. We don't know what it's going to cost. In in Pittsburgh, here's a good example. Blue Cross owns one of the hospitals. How is that ever going to work out for anyone? Yeah, that sounds like you're going to get the the dookie stick. Yeah, yeah. That's the fox guarding the hen house, yeah, right? You're the right. Saying there. Absolutely. So more than anything else, I just ask people, you know, no matter what kind of insurance, no matter what your situation, or if you don't have insurance, if you're self-employed, especially, get a hold of me. A lot of people who are on share plans have said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not having a great experience. If you are, fine. That's wonderful. But a lot of them haven't. And if you haven't, get a hold of me. You'd be surprised how many people are leaving every kind of insurance, share plan, everything to look at what we're able to do because we, our clients just stay with us. They love it. They love getting a check when they go to the doctor. They love going to the hospital and having little or no money out of pocket at all. Pretty incredible. Yeah. I want you to think about one other thing is that, and Pat's alluded to this, is that he loses people when they turn a certain age because they have to take, uh, you know, Medicare. Here's the key. Why should Pat have to be in direct competition with the federal government. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you got the federal government telling you, you must use their insurance, even if Pat is saving you money. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. My insurance premium uh, under Obamacare, my wife and I, our premium two years ago was going up to $2,000 a month. I'm 61. And at the time I was 59, she was 58 or 60 and 59, 2000 a month. Our premiums more than half of that at this point, less than half of that at this mm-hmm. point. And plus being able to go to the hospital, like I said, have all the other things that happened to us last year, 
$28,000 in medical bills with no money out of pocket. You know, the only problem that I've run into on my medical insurance has been uh, medicines. Yeah. Uh, you know, with this thing with my foot, and I had to, the whole thing of the infection, and they had to give me antibiotics. I've ended up paying over $2,000 on the antibiotics. The insurance doesn't touch that kind of stuff. Right. That That's an area I'm hoping they're going to address some. Uh, yeah. in, the, in the near future. I think they will. And I, I think the frustration, as I voiced, is they always say that the president doesn't have a plan. How can they say that? They, you know, it just seems like they're trying to get in his mind all the time. <laughs> and that drives me crazy. Every time you he does anything. You did watch the impeachment hearings? Oh, my gosh. Oh my God. It, it tells you everything the president was thinking. Yeah. And, you know, that's not fair. They wouldn't want anyone to look at them and go, hey, I know why you're saying you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. So we don't know what his plan is. I know he's got brilliant people that are on his staff. I know guys like Ben Carson. They're medical geniuses. I promise you they have ideas that are going to help in those areas of pre-existing and right. things like that. They have to. We know they have to. But we don't have to turn everything over to to the government somebody said it best you'll never know how much something costs until it's free yeah yeah when the government tells you something's free hold on to your wallet pat yeah. thanks for coming in today I it's enjoy always it a pleasure always. to have you here goes yeah. fast does yeah, go it fast does. yeah all right pat davis's phone number call him today set up a time that you can sit down and find out how you can save some of the money that you've been spending on health insurance 501 605 6935. That's 501-605-6935 or go on the web to Your Health Plan Man. That's one word, yourhealthplanman.com. Tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show, Congressman uh, French Hill will join us. Robert Steinbeck uh, will join me as well. And I'm sure I'll have a few things to throw in of my own. Until then, have a great day. See you tomorrow at 6 a.m. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.